and welcome to episode 57 of the Hughes Musings podcast. Today I am joined by the wonderful, talented and brilliant Sophie May Meeson. Uh, she's going to be talking to us about her journey through the arts uh, and how everything's changed slightly uh, and how they're having to adapt in her new role um, during the lockdown and 2020. Uh, but this is continuing our arts season and we're going to go right over to the wonderful Sophie May Meeson. Hi, Sophie. Hi, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Really good, thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, and it's been a while, um, so it's nice to see you. It has been a while. Like, I got to see you at the beginning of the year, very yeah. briefly, February, in London. Yeah, me and Carol went for a little jaunt to London. Little jaunt, little night out. But yeah, I haven't seen you since then. I know. So it's a nice catch up um, in these crazy pandemic times. Absolutely. Crazy, crazy times. So how's your day going so far? How are you? I'm, I'm really good, thank you. Really, really good. It's, uh, it's quite full on with work at the moment, but that is a good thing because I've been locked away for the last few months. So it's, it's good, but it's getting back into that busy lifestyle again. But it's, it's fine. It's good. Yeah, it's tired. Excellent. Yeah, it's it's hard to sort of change up the gears and go back into normal life again, isn't it? Ish. Yeah, absolutely. Ish. Ish. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's it's lovely to have you here. Uh, so we had the pleasure of working together out in Sea Day in Turkey. We did. Um, and uh, I've talked about it a lot on the podcast. So we worked together in what I would call Sea Day Year Two. Year two, yes. Yeah, so it was my second year out there because we opened the hotel the first time and we went back out again and I had the pleasure of working you, with you out in Sea Day year two. Um, so just as we start, that's given us a little bit of context of how we know each other. Can you sort of um, give me any sort of early memories of uh, sort of getting out into that team or like working together or anything like that? It's really weird. Like the first kind of few weeks for me was just a massive blur because I came in so late to the team. I was kind of learning everything quite quickly. Mm-hmm. So I just had my kind of face in my book all the time in the music and mm-hmm. had my headphones in. So I feel like I was really antisocial. So I do apologize. <laughs> um, but I think my earliest memory of you is just watching you in the piano bar and just how amazing you were. Mm-hmm. And and then we got to sing together and we got to do our little piano set, piano bar set, should I say. You weren't playing the piano, playing guitar. Mm-hmm. And um, your just your little shoulder movement. So we did a song, Be My Baby, which has like a, a little strum in the middle, doesn't it? And every time you did your little strum, you did your little shoulder wiggle. Do you remember <laughs> this? Um, now that you're saying it, yes. Stop I, I, pretending I kind of... you don't. Come on. <laughs> I don't know. I used to do like a lot of like weird little jiggles and flicks and things like that just to uh, keep myself and the performers that I work with entertained as we go through. Yeah, it was your favourite bit. You used to like do your little wiggle and you're like, (laughs) here's my wiggle, everybody. And everyone would watch you instead of me, which is absolutely fine. (laughs) Um, Just totally upstaging you. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Always. I'm used to it with you. It's fine. (laughs) And then... Oh, what what other golden moments, John Trevor Hugh moments? Okay, I think you know what I'm going to say because we bring this up every time we talk. But 
Oh, I am never going to live this down with you, am I? No, no. <laughs> so uh, there's a little song that we do a little call and repeat in, in the, mm. in the bridge section. And the lyrics are, if you take a chance. And John Trevor Hughes forgot his lyrics. <laughs> and what did you say after you said the lyrics, if you take a chance? Um, <laughs> uh, I think I then sang, if you take a chance. Mm-hmm. And then the next line? Was, maybe, <laughs> if you take a chance. And then the last line was? I changed it. It'll be worth yeah. the chance. It will be worth the chance. Totally. It was <laughs> the funniest thing. <laughs> Because you didn't even know what was coming next. <laughs> so yeah, for anybody who hasn't picked up the song from what we're talking about, it's um, Wanna Be The One. Is that what it's called? One, yeah, yeah, yeah Wanna yeah. Be The One. And then there's the little call and repeat section in that duet. And yeah, that was the bit where Don completely forgot the lyrics. Um, and yeah. then it, it, it's because, right, it's because it was call and repeat. I, I feel like I have to justify myself a little bit. Go on then. Go on. We'll let you justify. Go. Because <laughs> I feel a little bit under the spotlight right now. Um, but <laughs> yeah, so because it's call and repeat, like if you, if you forget the lyrics or something on your own, you can kind of just muddle together the words and make up and make it sound half like it's supposed to be the actual song. But because it was call and repeat and I knew that you were going to have to sing whatever I garbled out, I thought, mm-hmm. well, if she doesn't hear me properly, it's going to sound even weirder. So in in pure panic, I just kept repeating the same line that I remembered. It was just brilliant. <laughs> what, what a great moment. Yeah, I definitely I re- couldn't look at you after that. I was just <laughs> giggling to myself. It was great. So I remember, like, I sang the first lyric, and it, it definitely doesn't. St- I don't think it even starts with "if you take a chance." I think that's like one of the last lines. Yeah, probably. I think because it's "if you let me be." Oh yeah, of course. There you go. I'll be all you need. Yeah. Um, so I sang it the first time, and you kind of gave me a look of you went wrong there, didn't you? John Trevor Hughes went <laughs> wrong. Um, and then you repeated it, and then I did it again. And then Sammy and Kaya kind of looked at me and went, "Ooh, ooh, he's gone wrong here." And then by <laughs> the it. by the third or fourth one, you're all just wetting yourselves laughing. And then, yeah, just I've like it's however many years on, and I still haven't you're lived still, it down. No, you're not going to get over that one, I'm afraid. Taking all those chances. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I have no excuse because I put together that performance. It was it was a, a cast, a, a, like a girls' cast thing that we'd spent loads of time putting together, and and I have yeah. no excuse for forgetting it because I I arranged it all. Yeah, and you had your iPad in front of you, didn't you? Yeah, but I never. <laughs> I yes, never I used did. the iPad for that. I know, no, oh. I know. I had an iPad in front of me, but I never used it for that song because we changed a few things about it. So we changed like the key and the and the structure of it slightly. Sure. So I never got the lyrics or the music up for me because I'd I'd worked on it a while and I was like, I remember this. I know this. It's absolutely fine. It wasn't the first time we'd done it either. 
No, no, it, yeah, exactly. It wasn't like it was like the first performance or anything. Like it was, you know, a good few weeks down the line. It was about halfway through the season that I did this. Yeah, it was brilliant. Made my night. <laughs> Possibly made my contract. <laughs> I mean, that was uh, that was a pretty special contract as well, though. It was. It was just amazing, wasn't it? Yeah, like we were so lucky. Yeah, we've. We spoke to Tash and we spoke to Sammy and I'm hoping that I'm going to get the rest of the guys on as well. Um, but whenever we talk about those particular seasons in CD, especially that second season, we always sort of allude to how special that felt and how, uh, how what a brilliant season that was and how close we all were. Yeah, it, I mean, we were so lucky. It was a complete fluke for me, really, that I got to join this team because obviously I came so late and um it was just complete we were just so close I can't even explain it we were all such good friends there was nobody there that we didn't get on with there were I mean obviously there's always something that you know comes between people but we were all so close it never ever escalated we were just the best of friends and everyone was so talented you know there wasn't a weak link and we just had the best season. We had the best time. And I'd do, I'd do anything to get the gang back together. It would be so good. Yeah, it really would. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, so, so you just sort of said there that you came in late. Like, I remember that being like a real saga going into the season of, of everything that yeah. happened. So so it was initially cast. And, and these things happen with seasons sometimes, but not necessarily on this sort of scale. So it was originally cast and then, Unfortunately, that person couldn't do the job. So they sort of went away and this, you know, they hadn't really started rehearsals yet. So that was fine. And it was over winter while they were trying to sort that out. And then they got somebody else in who was supposed to do the job and they had accepted the job. And then about a week later, they turned around and went, oh, no, sorry, we can't do the job. And then they found somebody else who was going to then come from another cast, I think, and then go into that cast and they were like yep yep excellent and then they started rehearsals with the team and then they got offered a cruise or something that they they wanted to go on for a particular show and they were like i'm really sorry but i'm not going to take the contract and so they'd already started rehearsals at that point and then had to recast again so and then that's when we were lucky enough to find you sophie yeah fourth time lucky eh <laughs> nothing like uh first dibs <laughs> no, I'm joking. um but yeah so I was working at Orton Towers at the time mm-hmm. um doing the shows there in the hotel and I got a phone call from Tash who obviously you've done a podcast with who was the entertainment manager that mm-hmm. year um and she kind of rang me and she was like what are you doing at the moment because we really need a female a and we need somebody who can kind of jump in and pick these shows up quite quickly because we're already halfway through rehearsals Mm -hmm. and it was just it just felt right for me at the time it felt like I really needed to do something new and I mean who's going to turn down going to a really really nice hotel in Turkey for Mm -hmm. really great shows some really great costumes um and I just thought you know what yes that would be amazing um and then I went and had an audition but wasn't my finest hour because I had tonsillitis. Oh no. So they were like, could you sing? And I'm telling you, 
from Dream Girls with tonsillitis. And I'm not even <laughs> going to give you a rendition, but let's just say it was croaky. Um, and I was like, there's no way, there's no way, there's no way this is going to happen because I'm really <laughs> ill. Um, and then literally an hour later, I get a phone call. Could you please be in rehearsals for ABBA in the morning? And I'm thinking, sorry? Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So packed my bags, went off to rehearsals and literally started ABBA the next morning with this massive group of kind of strangers mm. um, because Tash wasn't there at the time. So I literally didn't know anyone. And there were other teams there as well. Mm. Um, and they were like, look, learn the ABBA show. And then at the end, we'll decide whether you're going to stay or not. Yeah. Like a bit of pressure. Oh. <laughs> um, and yeah, so did all my ABBA-ness and got on really well with the guys, even from like day one. Mm. And then that was it we were flying and you know we had a few weeks in the uk before we left to fly out to turkey and then we can continued rehearsals in turkey mm. and then once we were live i was then learning the shows that i'd missed in rehearsals kind of at midnight in the gym studio um and it was just it was crazy the first few weeks were a massive blur to me but mm. What an amazing experience and what a life change in such a short space of time. But it was just, yeah, so good. So good. The, um, th- this is one of the reasons why, like, I always think of you as, like, such a consummate professional is the fact that, like, so that rehearsal schedule, especially when you go into a season, is, is pretty full on anyway because you're having to sort of slightly reblock things, make things work for the particular stages because they're all slightly different in all the hotels. And, you know, it's a busy time anyway. But then yeah. I remember, like, one of the first impressions I had of you was the fact that you were doing all these rehearsals with the guys and then you were going away on your own, like, to then catch up with all the stuff that they'd done before you got there. And you, you were, like, constantly working, even when the rest of the people were you know, sort of getting as much downtime as they could. You were you were then still learning and, you know, like it was it was really commendable and really great to see, you know? Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I'm a bit of a perfectionist, which sometimes is a good thing and mm-hmm. sometimes is a bad thing because it just mm. means that I end up spending hours and hours just making sure that I know what I'm doing and I know what I'm doing is right. Mm. Um, because, I mean, it's fine when you're standing on a stage on your own you can blag, blag, blag. You can do whatever you want. And 95% of the time, the audience don't have a clue. You know, if you make mm. a little mistake, nobody notices. But as soon as you're standing on a stage with five un- other individuals who are incredibly talented and they're all doing this amazing choreo or singing all these big harmonies and then you're on the end, you know, step clicking because you've got no idea. It's really, really obvious. Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't like being that person. So I think... That's why I just gave myself a bit of a hard time at the beginning. Like, I have to know what's going on. I have to make sure that, you know, I've got my head in my music and learning it all. Because there were, Mm. I mean, there were a lot of shows, weren't there? There were like 14 different shows, I think. Yeah, between, like, because you were doing stage shows and then you'd do, like, reviews and stuff for the piano bar as well. So, you know, some of them them were pretty choreo heavy as well. Like, a lot of, you know, the choreography was pretty heavy in some of the shows and... You know, there was a, there was a lot going on there and things as, you know, as we were saying, were changing on the fly as well to suit the venues that we had because we'd only yeah. been in that hotel for one season before that anyway. And then, you know, so you haven't sort of reworked things to work for the, the actual physical stage and venue that you yeah. have. 
absolutely because there's indoor stages outdoor stages and the same shows have to go in and out and yeah mm. there's all sorts of stuff going on so but I mean what an amazing hotel though we were so lucky weren't we mm. yeah so, um, so that that hotel in Sea Day I think is one of my favorites I worked in a lot of those sensatories and that was definitely one of my favorites yeah mine too definitely what was your journey into the performing arts industry is it something that you always wanted to do or is it something you found a little bit later in life and prayed for later or or what was your sort of your way into the performing arts industry uh it's it started early for me for sure I mean mum always said you know there's videos of me as a a baby almost, you know, sitting in front of the TV, wiggling my bum and, you know, I, I couldn't stop moving always. And I got to about two years old and mum was like, right, well, better do something about this. So took me to a ballet class. I mean, mm-hmm. at that age as well, quite remarkable, really, you know, to think, oh, I'm going to take you to a ballet class, but thanks mum, because, you know, look where I am now. But, and then at four, I went to stage school mm-hmm. in Hastings and I was so lucky to have such an amazing uh, training down there because you know the the teachers there were from such a great background and they'd done so many you know jobs themselves that they could give me that kind of training and then um by the time I was eight I had an agent in London um, mm-hmm. and I'd started kind of auditioning for various things um, and I got a few little jobs, a few adverts, a few films and things like that that were just, right. you know, very little jobs, but nothing, mm-hmm. you know, major. And then I had an audition, got it, which was for um, Annie, the musical, um, to do the UK national tour. Right. Um, and that was it. Packed my bags. I was nine years old. Packed my bags. Off I went and waved my mom off. Bye. <laughs> See you later. And um, it, it was just crazy because you know I was nine years old I didn't have to go to school for those weeks I had a teacher on tour with me and I got to Mm -hmm. go and see the country at nine years old and I got to stand on these big big stages and work with some incredible incredible people during Mm -hmm. that tour and I think that for me is what gave me the push and the buzz to be like this is what I want to do this is Mm -hmm. what I love doing and from then on that was it. You know, I, I continued to do all my training, all my exams, you know, singing, dancing, acting, all that kind of stuff, kept auditioning, kept doing a few bits. And then when I was old enough, I went to college. Right. Um, and then, yeah, then I kind of just kept working and I've been so lucky. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. So did you go to uh, performing arts college? No. So I went to went to a normal just normal college but I did do performing arts I did a BTEC um right, in performing arts mm-hmm. and then I could have gone to London College after that but I decided that actually I wanted to try an audition and see if I could get work right. and then that would kind of tell me whether I needed to go to college or whether actually you know I can gain experience on the job which mm-hmm. I think is more valuable really um so that's what I did I went and did loads and loads of auditions and don't get me wrong Mm. it didn't happen overnight I definitely did a lot of auditions Mm. but um yeah I was really lucky to kind of get my first job first pro job since I left college Mm. and it was a job in Menorca touring around the island touring around the hotels 
right. each night at a different hotel doing um, an ABBA and a Legends show, which is kind of a standard job, I guess, to start with. But mm. it taught me so, so much, so, so much about our industry. It was great. Mm. I think <clears throat> there, it's really interesting to sort of talk about those kind of jobs. Because I think a lot of people don't, um, especially when they go on holiday and things, they go into a bar and they see see the turn there doing a show. And I think people don't really realise that, like, people travel away to actually do that and, and go from venue to venue performing that show all across an island like that. So it, it, it's quite a sort of hard taking because you're, you're traveling throughout the day and then performing at night as well. Um, I can imagine that was quite a sort of tough job and quite a sort of eye-opening first way in, you know, that first big sort of job as an adult. Though. Yeah, definitely. It It taught me a lot of kind of, basics on how this works you Mm. know um it's not just a case of rocking up and everything's ready to go and you just walk on stage it doesn't work like that and it's a case of you know leaving hours before and getting to the venues and setting up and doing sound checks before there's audiences there and you know even silly things like making sure costumes have been washed every day or every other day Mm. whatever it is and you know making sure your wigs are set and all this kind of thing that people don't really think about when you're on holiday, you see a show, you just think it, it's there and, you know, yeah. oh, it's great. These people only work an hour a night, lucky them. And it's like, no, actually, you know, we've been on the road for an hour to get here and then we've been setting yeah. up for a couple of hours because, you know, all the equipment comes with us. And it, yeah, it was a real eye opener. And I definitely learned a lot about our industry on that job for sure. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I I'd sort of I always think of like the analogy of the um the swan and the water of like yeah. above the water it looks very graceful, very beautiful, like lots of foufarar and feels quite showbiz. Uh, but mm. underneath there's so much work going on to keep that swan moving. And I yeah. feel like it's the same with the arts industry. Like I said, like abroad in Menorca as well, but also in the UK as well. You see, you know, all these people like in in bars and cabaret venues and holiday parks and all these acts and, you know, the amount of traveling. And like you said, like it's like gigs and costumes and stuff, because not only do you need to get from gig to gig, but when you get to gig to gig, you've actually got to perform and you've got to look showbiz. You've got to look mm. brilliant. And, you know, it can't look like you've just traveled for 18 hours to to get to this venue from you know halfway across the country or the full way across the country um you know there's a lot of work that goes into that around that you know yeah definitely and I mean I got a a big dose of that when I came back from Turkey because I decided you know I'm gonna stay here now and I'm gonna do UK gigs Mm -hmm. and I ended up having gigs where I was in Scotland one day and I was you know down in Camber Sands by the coast the next and it was Mm. like driving the length of the country like country to be able to get to the gig on time and people don't understand that people don't see that and you know you get to the point where you're like packing up from your gig at 1 2 a.m and you get home at 5 a.m after you've driven and it's like but why are you tired you're only on stage for an hour or two hours and it's like yeah but there's other stuff to it but people don't always consider that or recognize that and then it's you know the whole analogy of we've trained for how many years to learn our, our trade, our craft. Mm-hmm. And 
that's why we are so good for the hour or the two hours because we've been training for years to do it it's not like we've just rocked up and oh it's just a fluke that I can sing today it's <laughs> years and years of training it, it yeah. is and that's why you know people I guess uh, are envious maybe of what we do because we've trained for years to do it I don't know I, I think yeah I think a lot of it is that pe- the the that people think that it is turning up and performing for an hour and it looks like you just having a laugh and, you know, having fun and not working hard. But the fact is part of the performance is to look like you're having fun and having a laugh. And it's just a big, you know, great big fun time for everybody. That's part of the performance that you're selling when you go to these bars, when you go to these venues, you know, it can't look like you're working because nobody wants to work their entire week and then go and sit in a bar at night and then watch somebody look like they're working. Like I mean, it's, you know, <laughs> what a show that would be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, imagine, imagine singer on stage is, you know, like huffing and sighing and looking a little bit tired. And when they get to that song they don't like, they go, oh, right, okay, here's this song, you know. I don't really like it, but whatever, we'll do it anyway. You know, it doesn't work like that. Part of, like, I feel like the arts industry is, can't, not shoot itself in the foot, but I can't think of another analogy for it, but is suffering for its own craft because part of that craft is to look like it's easy and great fun and you don't need to do anything, but then that's the impression that people have. Yeah, absolutely. You have to switch it on. Like whatever you've got going on behind the scenes, whether you've got personal things going on or whatever, you can't let that be seen on stage. And that is why, you know, we always look happy and we always we do enjoy what we're doing, but we always look like we enjoy what we're doing, too. And people maybe take that the wrong way sometimes and think Mm -hmm. like it's just a jolly or a hobby. Mm -hmm. And actually, it's not a job that we're all grafting to do. Exactly. So, yeah. Absolutely. Um, so you sort of went to college and then you did your first job. Uh, what? Uh, what's? Where, where did you go sort of after that first job? What was the sort of cre- like performing journey? You worked at Alton Towers for a while, is that right? I did, yeah. I went there for just over three years and I absolutely right. loved it there. The mm-hmm. entertainment was just on another level, you know, for a hotel kind of production team. Mm-hmm. There was, um, I worked in the Orton Towers Hotel, which had a pirate ship in the middle. And that was kind of the stage, which, uh, you know, what an amazing stage to be on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had a live band kind of in the back of the stage. And then the three singers on the front. Right. And I learned so much on that job. I learned how to talk on the mic for one, because mm-hmm. I, I was always not really had the confidence to talk on a microphone to anyone. And I definitely learned that there because you had to, you had to be on, you know, on your feet all the time, be quick, be witty, you know, because there's always somebody throwing a joke or whatever at you from the audience and you always had to be on it. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, the stage was in the round. So you had people behind you, you had people in front, you had people at the staircases, you know, above you in the ceiling. And it was like, you always had to perform to Mm. every point in the room and I don't think there's you know another kind of venue like it Mm. and you I just learned so so much you know I I mean I had to climb a pirate ship to make sure that everybody saw what was going on it was amazing um and the the level of production in these shows was just incredible the costumes Mm. were amazing that just 
it was such a good job and I learned so so much and I think that gave me uh, just everything I needed for Turkey it was a a great stepping stone for me Mm -hmm. to then have the confidence to be able to do these big production shows that we were doing in Turkey which Mm -hmm. was great I know that like Halloween's quite a big thing at Alton Towers, isn't it? Like yeah, I know Scarefest. that sort of yeah, Scarefest and like the entertainment sort of changes a lot. Is that something that you sort of look forward to every year? Every year, without a doubt. There mm. were two weeks of my year, or three weeks by the end, that I could go up and I could do what I wanted. I could mm-hmm. scare a child and it didn't matter. Ah, you know? Right. Like it was fun. I got to run around like I was a possessed alien. And, you know, it's, it, where, where else can you do that? What other job can you do that? And you just, you just can't. And, you know, one year they dressed us up as all the rides and I was Nemesis, which is, I right. don't know if you've not been to Orton Towers, it's kind of the uh, roller coaster with all the bones um, attached to it. And mm. I was in this big latex thing from head to toe and I've never seen anything like it it was incredible and people used to come from the park or even just randomly to the hotel just to see the shows Mm -hmm. before they went home they didn't even stay sometimes and it's just yeah it was the best thing Scarefest I always look forward to every year I miss it now to be fair I really Mm. do yeah but I got to go to Turkey and I got to do some incredible shows there as well so Mm -hmm. you know I don't and it's a little bit different now at Orton Towers, you know. Right. Um, so there's no band anymore. So it's a little bit different there oh, okay. anyway. Yeah, but right. I think I definitely left at the right time because I loved it. So I, I left yeah. on a high, which I think That's is good. the best way. So what was that transition like? Because obviously you're going from like a band with three singers and, you know, like you said, you've got all like performing in the round and climbing around things to sort of working with you know five other production performers in a six-part cast and then you know having that like sort of be on a big stage with the audience right in front of you which is a bit more conventional feels a little bit different um what were the sort of challenges going in and like I said working with that production company and having your tracks and you know like just doing that side of things how how was that yeah, transition for you it was it was very different I mean, I obviously my training kind of at college was the typical theatre training. So Mm. it was more towards that, which was great because I hadn't got to do that at Alton Towers. Mm. But we had such a talented cast, like Sammy, Kaya, two phenomenal girls. Like Sammy can sing things that I couldn't dream of. That whistle tone is just phenomenal. And Kaya, like her energy, just she's amazing the energy is on another level and you stand next to these people and you're like I need to up my game Mm -hmm. I don't know how I'm going to do this but I need to up my game and I think everyone had their thing and everyone was so talented on that team Mm -hmm. that we just produced these amazing shows and we got given this amazing music and costumes and these big stages like the outdoor stages were like arena stages weren't they they were huge yeah they're massive yeah uh and um, yeah, it was great. Once I got rehearsals kind of under my belt and I knew what I was doing, it was just enjoyment every night to be able mm-hmm. to step on the stage with these amazing people who I absolutely loved to pieces and we were so close mm-hmm. and we just had so much fun, mm-hmm. like so much fun all the time, um, despite it being like 40 degrees. And we yeah. were like <laughs> that was the other thing. in the heat. <laughs> That's the other thing I was going to ask about. How was it... Um... 
obviously going from Alton Towers and being indoors and, you know, like having, you know, a controlled environment to, you know, especially sort of during the peak season and things like that. Like like you said, it, it gets to about 40 degrees and you'd still be in, You'd like the costume wouldn't change, the show doesn't change. Mm-hmm. You just, the, the heat just keeps ramping up through the season. How was that for yeah. you? It was hot. Um, <laughs> it was it was fine. Like you do get used to it, you climatize to it. But I mean, there was one show that we started off with our costumes on, and then we had to put thick coats on. Yeah. So it was just crazy because before you'd even stepped on the stage, you were already dying of heat. But mm. It's going back to that whole thing of you put a face on mm. and you step on that stage and that is the show and you don't complain because that is the job, you know? Mm-hmm. And it just meant I could have another slice of cake, really. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because you're going to burn you it know, off, yeah? Mm. I'm going to burn it off, so it's fine. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I <laughs> I wasn't complaining. I It was hot, I'm not going to lie. I've mm. never been so warm in my entire life but it was just the best thing I mean I I have asthma so uh, the heat tends to bother me sometimes to breathe so that's always fun but we always found ways I used to have a pocket in my costume with my inhaler in and then if I needed it I had it so (laughs) there's always a way yeah yeah that's good I mean I know you sort of we you sort of joked about having that extra piece of cake because you're going to burn it off but Obviously, when you're sort of working in that heat, doing those shows and things like that, you've, you've got to make sure that you're conditioned quite well and you're looking after yourself constantly, you know? Yeah. Like, I remember, you know, it was always drilled into us, you know, even even me as a musician, you know, make sure you stay hydrated, make sure that you are eating, you know, regularly and, you know, like small amounts and make sure you sort of spread that over the day to so make sure you've always got the energy for the evening, you know? That was something that was sort of drilled into us all, I think. Yeah, it's definitely part of the lifestyle. I mean, especially, I mean, for dancers, I I don't do that much anymore. But back in the day, you do have to eat the right foods to have the fuel you need. And you do need to make sure you're fit enough to do the shows. Because if you aren't, I mean, that's no fun to watch, is it? I mean, that would be a dream job just to eat cake all day and then just to rock up and just sit on the floor on the stage and just sing. How about that? That would be fun. I mean, where's that job? I mean, whoever's got that, give me a call. Uh, I just, just That'd be great. Let us all know when you're retiring because we'll want it. We'll pop over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Definitely. I'd love that. But no, it's definitely, you know, people stay fit for these jobs, you know, the, mm. especially dancers. My goodness. You know, the dancers in the West End, they are at the gym before they go and do these shows because mm. they keep their bodies in great condition. And there's a reason for that. And you know, but for us singers as well, we have to stay a certain size because we've got to get in our costumes, you know? We can't mm. change sizes and we can't eat too much and, you know, because we've got costumes to get in mm. and we've got to be fit enough to do these shows, especially to sing and move at the same time. That's it. it. Nobody really wants to hear a singer who's blowing up, you know, who, you know, can't, can't, you know muster the breath to sing the big note at the end of the song you know like nobody yeah. wants to nobody wants to wonder if they're going to be able to do it you know you have to have that level of security of like yeah of course i'm going to hit that note for that long exactly that night mm. after night year after year totally 
Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So the other side of that job was a little bit more closely with me. We've sort of alluded to certain moments, banks, um, where things don't go quite so right in the piano bar. Uh, but how did you find that sort of working with musicians? And with that, you kind of pick your own material and, you know, you work with the musicians to sort of present something. It's a little bit more um, exposed as a performer because... Obviously, when you're doing your stage shows, you're told to sing this and dance this and look yeah. this way and do that. How did you feel about sort of, you know, going up and presenting yourself as you in inverted commas? That used to be one of my favourite parts, you know, mm-hmm. because, you know, it is down to us what we sing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's down to you and I or whoever the pianist is to, you know, make our rendition, put our stamp on it, do what we want with it. And that's fun, you know, that's creative and that's creative for us. And yeah, I used to really, really enjoy it. And I think that's what's made me kind of move on to what I do now with the kind of gigs in the UK, because all the live band stuff I do now, kind of weddings and corporates and kind of all that stuff is essentially that what that was. Yeah, very um, again, yeah, very much the same thing, yeah. Yeah, and I used to love doing all the acoustic versions of songs and breaking them down and finding harmonies, and that's fun. That's creative for all of us. So, yeah, million percent, loved it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, I, I love interviewing performers because they kind of do all the segues themselves. They take us on the journey. It's great. Um, so You're welcome. <laughs> the, thank you very much. Thank you. I, I said to Sammy, I'll just hold cue cards up and just let you chat. It's wonderful. You just segue it all in yourself. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I was going to ask you, so so now um, you're back in the UK, but just before that, actually, um, so you did a season in Turkey and you didn't do any more seasons as a performer. Um, So you went into uh, resort directing. Uh, How did that sort of come about? So basically when I got back from Turkey, I decided I wasn't going to go abroad again Mm -hmm. um and the company basically said look you know do you want to be a resort director um you've you've been a cast member now so you know what they're going through so essentially a resort director takes the cast through rehearsals and puts them on the stage in resort um Mm -hmm. and I loved it it was great I had my team and you know we did rehearsals together and I got to help them kind of learn the shows and put their own stamp on it and then I got to take them out to resort and I did Egypt and I did uh Tenerife as well Mm. and I mean Egypt's beautiful isn't it Uh, yeah I loved it out there um and got to, you know, get them to go live. And and it, I, yeah, I absolutely loved being a resort director for sure. And then mm-hmm. from then, they offered to have me in the office um, to kind of learn that side of it. So all the behind the scenes stuff, things from auditions to producing the shows to costumes to, you know, everything you can think of. Um, and I, I'm so thankful for that because I had this stepping stone from performer to resort director to kind of production. And I learned so, so much. And I genuinely believe that's how I'm kind of where I am now um, mm. because of everything I learned over those years, mm-hmm. like a few years. Yeah, I mean, really. I, I know it was on and off, but overall it'd be five years, would it? Yeah, well, I yeah, I moved uh, in September last year. So, yeah, it would have been five years. Wow. 
long time. Wow. Um, and yeah. yeah, so and that kind of has led you into what you do now. So you were talking about the gigs and stuff. So you're you're literally doing the legwork um, and traveling all around the country to perform. Yeah. How are we finding the the travel and the gigging and well, how were you finding it before the pandemic kind of put a stop yeah, to all that? Yeah, well, I know, but um, well, my car and I are best friends. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, right. We have a close relationship. No, I I love it. I do I do love it, and I think over the years I've tried to. Now I'm getting gigs that I, I'm enjoying doing more. Mm-hmm. I, I'm big a bit more picky as to where I'm doing them and who I'm doing them with and things like that but to start off with I really was traveling and I was racking right. up those miles but um I I don't mind traveling to a gig as long as I've got the time to do so and it's a gig I enjoy doing and mm-hmm. I've got to the point now where I have some amazing shows that I'm doing mm-hmm. um in amazing theaters and I have some great bands that I gig with for weddings and for corporates and I love turning up to my jobs you know mm. I I absolutely love it whether it's the amazing people I'm with because the talent is just ugh, incredible um or whether it's just these incredible theatres that we're turning up to you know these mm-hmm. multiple level theatres it's just amazing so I'm so lucky so I really don't mind the traveling at all mm. I, I it's so worth it so mm. so worth it that's it I mean so that was uh, one of the things that sort of influenced um, my sort of decisions when I, I sort of got back from from working abroad. Um, is obviously like me and Carol have this flat in Scotland, um, but with the amount of travelling and stuff, and the fact that you don't really get to spend that much time at home, and if you do, it's literally a sleep stop before you travel to the next gig. I was just yeah. it just didn't really feel like it was compatible with what we wanted to do there. I think, I think people don't realize how, like, like we were allu- sort of alluding to before is that how much sort of travel and, and hard work goes into prepping for that performance as well. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why, you know, three years ago now I decided to sort of away from the industry, you know? It's sad. I was just putting my lip out and then I thought we're on a podcast. You can't Nobody's see it. Gonna, yeah. It is, it's really sad because, you know, I'm sure you're not the only one um, no, that, no. that has come to that decision. And there is so much talent and there are so many people in the country that should still be doing it, but aren't because it's not easy, you know, and it's not mm. just a case of turning up 10 minutes down the road and it all being set up and you literally just walk on stage, sing, and then you drive 10 minutes home and that's it. Like that isn't that isn't what this job is, no. and I think a lot of people don't understand that and don't get that. They just think it's a hobby and think it's just you know nothing, mm. just rock up, and it, it's not like that. At no, all. it's it is the the graft, the hours, the yeah. the travel, the setup, the pack down, everything. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, there's a lot of investment in time and money and effort and travel that goes into you know that that singular performance totally yeah you're gigging and things like that now um but that office work with the agency that sort of that's led you into um another avenue of work so um 
you work for an events company as well. Um, so could you tell us a bit about that and how that's sort of yeah. how that's worked? So that kind of came up last year um, and I got a call to move across in September and it just it just felt right really. And um, the events company is based in Stratford-on-Avon and it's a corporate events company. So I am senior project manager and I manage all the events. I mean, obviously mm. at the moment there's not many going on, but uh, before we manage things like uh, events at Silverstone, the F1, things like that, to anything like birthday parties or office transformations or, you know, theming, anything really. But of course, at the moment, things aren't happening. So it's it's really, really difficult at the mm. moment um, with the pandemic. But mm. there are companies yeah. struggling Mm. At the moment, there are companies going under at the moment and we're still going, which is mm. amazing. So we just have to keep keep going, keep powering so on. How how has the pandemic sort of changed your work in practice? Because obviously as an events company, you've got to find different streams and different avenues of working. So, so how does that look now for you and your sort of daily work pattern? It's very different, but, mm. you know, you've got to do what you've got to do. Um, it's, you know, it's a small business. It's not a, a big business and you've got to find different avenues. So, mm. I mean, you can't do live events. So what can we do? Virtual events. And it's a case of finding ways of making it different, ways of making it fun. Mm. Um, because, you know, nobody wants to sit on a Zoom call on a conference. Let's face it. It gets mm. boring. And it's a case of keeping people's kind of, I don't know, keep them immersed in what they're watching or what they're doing. Um, mm. And that's kind of what we're branching out to do now with companies is to do live broadcasts as opposed to Zoom calls. So it's mm. entertaining and it's fun and they want to watch and they want to be involved. So that's kind of the way we're going. And we've also even, you know, corporate gifting and things. So instead of Christmas parties this year, they're sending out hampers. Mm. And it's, you know, how can we make a boring old hamper exciting yeah, and like you know unique, it, it's yeah. yeah and it's creating you know these kind of virtual events so they could open their hamper and there's a link to be able to go to a, a party and there's a dj on the end of the line you know it's all those mm -hmm. kind of things and it's just a case of making this happen and that's what we're doing right now um but i mean from the other side of things my gigs and stuff mm. as of march i, ha I have the full That's diary it. but they all disappeared every My single one of them is gone yeah mm. completely gone and i mean i had a couple of gigs over the summer at a holiday park on their outdoor stage and that was amazing but that was literally like three gigs and then mm. i had my first theater gig back last week and it got cancelled a couple of days before oh and no yeah and it's still it's still happening i mean i've got one next week but who knows? It's a case of literally waiting day by day to see whether it's going to happen. That's it. The and venues themselves so probably don't know, yeah? No, they don't. So it's a case of just seeing what the guidelines are at the time, making sure everyone is safe and healthy, mm. and just seeing what happens, which is just crazy. Yeah. I mean, you know, it is a, a scary time for, for performers because... Like like you said, you had a full diary of contacts that you spent years cultivating and building up yeah. and having all of those. Like you, I know for a fact that you do, like you said, you've got a couple of bands that you gig with. You do different theatre shows with different companies. You know, it's taken you a long time to cultivate all those contacts and all those different performers and people who want you to keep coming to work with them. 
yeah. in, in order to fill that diary in full and you know and it's a scary time for the people in the industry because uh, yes they've stopped but then at the same time a lot of the people that you're working with like the you know like the for the theater and stuff you know these are small comp- small touring companies that you know you're just hoping that they're going to be able to survive the, the literally a stop in the industry you know yeah absolutely like there's so much to it i think a lot that people don't even realize Mm. um especially in the theater world like there are so many people that have to be part of the team to be able to make a show go ahead Mm -hmm. you know and even down to you know the tech side of it there's hundreds of technicians in some shows there's you know stage managers there's wiggies you know that set all the wigs every night the cost costumers the wardrobe team that just everything like even down to company managers that do logistics for touring shows like all these people Mm. have done this for years for years and years and this is their life that you know this is how they live this is how they pay their mortgage and suddenly that's gone Mm. like completely gone and out of their hands and they've spent years training to do what they do Mm. and they've also spent years getting to where they they've gotten to um, and suddenly it's been taken away, which is just mind-blowing. Yeah, it's a bit scary. Um, so just to sort of like um, sort of wrap this up, is there sort of anything that you'd want to say to people? Like, Because obviously we're in a situation we're in. Well, I'm not going to name any politicians or, you know, the government are saying this because mm-hmm. we've all seen it and we all know. Um, yeah. And on the podcast here, like we always talk about like personal experiences and personal messages. Um, but so is there anything that you'd like want to say to people either in the industry or people who, you know, have their conceptions about the industry or, you know, just something that you want people to bear in mind? Is there anything sort of that you, you want to say, you know? Yeah, I think I think people that aren't in our industry, aren't in the arts industry, need to maybe consider some more things. Mm-hmm. Um, in the sense of, you know, this isn't a hobby. This this is our lives. It is. And, you know, I always joke about it, but the amount of times people have come up to me and said, you know, what do you do normally? What's your normal job? <laughs> or, yeah. you know, what when are you going on the X Factor? Mm. And it's like, well, this is my job. This is my full-time job. And then they look at you completely perplexed. Like, what do you mean this is your full-time job? Mm. And, you know, and it's like, no, no, this, this is my life. This is my world. And I think it is still very much considered as a hobby and very much considered as not, um, I don't know, a decent job. And it it really is. And I think when you consider the entertainment and arts industry and what it is doing for everybody, Mm. you know, even in the sense in lockdown, and I saw a post the other day, what would we have done in lockdown without Netflix or without, Mm. you know, Amazon or without all the theatre shows being put online to be able to watch, you know? And none of that would be here and even people producing music videos, you know, we all in lockdown found a mic and we recorded something because we needed to be creative. That's it, yeah. And everyone was loving it, you know, they yeah. were. 
but that wouldn't have happened if we didn't exist. And I think people mm. need to remember there's a lot to our industry. There's a lot of hard work, graft and training gone into the years and years that we've put in to get to where we are. Mm. And I think it needs to remember that it's not a ho- hobby and it is, you know, a good job. And it is, mm. oh, it's our lives. And I think that's what, what gets to me a lot, you know, and people don't consider that. And I think also from the other side of things, you know, from my event side is support small businesses, Mm. please. You know, like with Christmas coming up, for example, you know, buy your Christmas presents from small businesses. Mm -hmm. There are many around, you know, get on Facebook. There's plenty, get on Etsy, whatever you need to do Mm. because Amazon will be fine. You know, yeah. Amazon will make mm. it through, as will all the big, big shops. But mm. there are small businesses, you know, there's a lady down the road that's got a little craft shop or whatever it may be, you know, mm. even with my events business, if you've got a big corporate company, please don't go to a big, you know, gifting company or a virtual event company. Come to a small business because mm. you will keep them going and you will give them the ability to keep their business open which I think is really, really like the point right now. Support anyone you can. It's not going to necessarily even cost you money. Like there are people that are living on their own, you know, uh, older, vulnerable people, but also young people who have got mental health issues or whatever it may be, pick up the phone and call them, you know? Like there are things that can be done. I think people are very quick to point the finger at who are, the people that should be looked after and who are the people that shouldn't. And I think that's really not how it should be. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think my message is support, support whoever you can support the people that need supporting at this time, because otherwise who knows what's going to happen. Yeah. I, I think that's a great message. You know, the fact that, and it's something that I've sort of been trying to promote, you know, I'm very lucky that I have this podcast and we have a following and, and as I was saying to Sammy the other day, like I feel like I've got a responsibility because we have these listeners that, you know, that I, I should have something to say. And, and because of that, like um, my message is always about listening to each other, supporting each other, being there for each other and yeah. doing everything you can to be non-judgmental about it. Because Absolutely. we all need each other. Everybody's going through something in 2020. It is a brand new experience that none of us have been through before and nobody expected. And we all need support in some ways, you know, um, every, every individual is, is fighting their own battle this year. And just if you are in a position where you're lucky enough to do something to support somebody, then do it help in some way, just just do something whenever you can. To help somebody else absolutely everyone has a phone pick the phone up that's you know that could be as small as that and that's yep. all it needs yep. for sure that's all it takes is small gesture just something to you know connect with somebody else and help somebody else and support somebody else yeah everyone's yeah. going through it at the moment so support 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 i think that's a great message yeah uh, so just to wrap up um when uh, I speak to performers, uh, so we're going to be talking to like other people like technicians, business owners, um, venue owners, hopefully, um, mm-hmm. 
But whenever I speak to the performers, I like to try and do a little collaboration just to sort of highlight us plying our trade a little bit. And we used to have a little sing-song together, didn't we, Sophie? We did. I used to love it. I looked forward to our little sing-songs. Me and too. now we've done it again. We did. So we didn't gig anything that we used to gig years ago, which I have done previously of like, you know, a song that meant something to us. But we decided to think a little bit out of the box and go for something a little bit newer, a little bit different. Um, and uh, we're doing Stitches uh, yeah. by Sean Mendes and Hayley Steinfeld. Yeah, by Sean and Hayley. Good old Sean and Hayley. You know. No, did a little no. version of this song together and we listened to it and we were like, oh, that's pretty good. We kind of like that. Maybe we'll steal that and make it a little bit different, make it a little bit more John and Sophie. Yeah, I think we nailed it, to be fair. I, I, I think so too. Great. <laughs> um, so we're going to play a little clip at the end here and then we'll post the link at the same time that we post the episode as well on all our social media and stuff like that. Amazing. Um, but it was an absolute pleasure to be able to perform with you again, even oh. if it was across the UK and not live in person like we used to. No, but it was still amazing. I love singing with you. Angel voice of John oh. Trevor Hughes. Thank you. You are. Yeah, we need to... Uh, when this is all over, we need to find a way of getting everyone back together, for sure. Oh, yeah, like a reunion concert type thing. Yeah, anything. It would be incredible because Honestly. luckily all of our lot are still performing. The dream team. No. No? Not anymore. No. Um, only recently, though. Because oh, okay. Sammy has now moved to be a mortgage broker. Well, she has, yes. But she still can sing, as in she's still performing at home. Yeah, uh, yeah. so so it, the, the talent hasn't left us all. The talent hasn't um, left her. I don't think it will ever leave her. She's got uh, but, talent in her fingers. Yeah, but now Dan the man, he's a uh, sales in London. Is he? Yeah, he works. So he's had an interesting little journey and we'll talk to him about it. But yeah. He went um, to go and be a carpenter for a bit, so he was helping build houses. Oh, wow. And now he's doing sales in London. Well, I bet he's still singing as he's doing it. Probably is. Probably that's or how he makes the sales. Or something. Yeah, I yeah. bet that is. Mm. Give him a little dance and a sing. You know, you want well, to buy this We'll have me. to get the gang back together. I think we'll, it'll be great. We'll do everything we can. Um, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to keep doing these interviews. I'll try and get everybody on, and then we'll, yes. try, and do it. we'll try and do a group thing through the Hughes Musings podcast. We'll see That would be incredible. Fingers crossed. Uh, we'll see yeah. how we get on with everybody. Love it. Uh, but yeah, so this is a little clip of our song. Thank you very much, Sophie. It's been an absolute pleasure. I really appreciate you joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. It's been great. It really has. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.
I'll be needing stitches Tripping on myself I'll be keep begging you to come help I know that I'm without your kisses I'll be needing stitches Just like a moth drawn to the flame